0: Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Over a decade ago, um, my Sunday mornings used to look the same, the same kind of routine. Sundays were the day for me to uh, meal prep for the week. Let me explain how my meal prep worked. Sat on a couch, a dining room table. There was this plant. There was this little metal thing called a grinder and a bunch of papers. Now I would spend the next six hours grinding, turning into a big old pile. And the first paper that I rolled up was the first one I sparked. And then I would start to pre-roll all the joints and blunts for that week. On this particular Sunday, I had a roommate that walked in. He had left in the morning with his girlfriend. He had come back, and I was still sitting there. And he just asked, is this all you're going to do all day? And something clicked for me in that moment. Something just clicked. There had to be something more to life than, than what I was doing. You see, the reality was is I smoked a lot of weed simply because I wanted to avoid some of the shame and the guilt in my life. I wanted to avoid some of the heartache and pain in my life. I was just trying to numb everything up. The sucky part about that is, is you're numb when you're high and when you start to come down, it's all still there and there's this void left by all of it. So I got to a point that I was like, there's got to be more to life. Went into my job, I quit, moved back home to San Diego with absolutely zero plan of what I was about to do with my life. I just got to a point that said, God, I'm done trying to do it my way. The money I'm making, the material things I'm buying, pleasure in life that I want to do and how I want to do it, none of this working. There's got to be more. And so I say, God, I'll give you a try. Let's see if you really are who you are. Let's see if you can fill this void. Today, we're going to go to a passage. And if you've been part of church for any length of time, it's a passage you've heard It's a passage you've probably read. And if you're like me, there's something in the story that you miss. So I want you to grab a rock, grab a log, come sit around the well where he will interact with her. And there's an interaction that happens that should have never happened according to their culture and their society or the fact that it's a man and a woman, but there's an interaction and a conversation that happens. I want you to come see what happens when we find satisfaction in Jesus What happens when there's forgiveness and healing and redemption? And then what happens when you walk out in freedom? You see, I think we talk about forgiveness and we can do forgiveness well. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. But we don't often walk out with, oh, I'm also free. You have your Bibles open up to John chapter 4, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Don't forget that part. That's important. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Listen, this is a culture shock for this woman, okay, for a number of reasons. First off, in that day, in that time, in that society, in that culture, men didn't talk to women. Like, husbands wouldn't even talk to their wives. Some of you wives may wish your husband never talked to you, Um <laughs> But it was part of their society. Husbands didn't talk to even wives. Men didn't talk to women in public, in society at all. And so not only is it a man talking to a woman, but it's a Jewish man talking to a woman from Samaria. And there's a big drastic difference there. You see, you got to understand the background of Samaria or Samaritans. Israel had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And at some point... Uh, in that time and in that history when the nation was divided into two kingdoms the Assyrian Empire came and conquered the northern kingdom in which their capital was Samaria and because of that when he conquered them he took out all the men and able-bodied boys to come and be slaves and work for them and work for the Assyrian Empire because of that there was nothing but women and children left in in this northern kingdom so he brought a bunch of people from his kingdom which means different religions different tribes different cultures different nations different people he brings them in and now this Jewish population in the northern kingdom Kingdom, they start to have, uh, they intermarry and start to have kids with these people from other religions and other cultures and other backgrounds, and so you get this mixed race called Samaritans. They blend their worship together, and they're worshiping God, and they're worshiping idols, and they're trying to figure it out, and at some point, they go, well, okay, we're going to go back to worshiping God, but we're going to worship God our way, a Samaritan way, versus the way the Jewish way says, and there's a big divide there, so there's this, like, centuries worth of animosity and distrust between Jewish, the Jews and Samar- Samaritans. And so when she asked Jesus, why would a Jewish man speak to a Samaritan woman? It's both cultural man to woman. It's also cultural Samaritan to Jew. Like he's breaking all social norms in this moment by simply saying, give me a drink. And let's see Jesus' reply. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become... In him, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Like, there's a drastic change in the midst of this conversation, in just this part of it. Like, at the start of the conversation, Jesus was the one that was thirsty and she was the one that could provide water. And now Jesus is speaking as if she is the one who is thirsty and he's the one who could provide water. And then she is confused. She goes, You don't even have a jar to draw water with. Like, what are you talking about? You can give me a drink. See, she thinks Jesus is talking about this physical water. And Jesus is talking about spiritual water, living water, spiritual realities. And the woman doesn't get it. The Greek word for living water is zao. It means to be alive. The New Testament writers, they use it when they're talking of dead persons becoming alive. We read about that in Matthew 9 and in Acts 9. They use that same word talking about the resurrection of Jesus in Mark 16 and Luke 24 or sick people who are brought to life. When we look at Jairus' daughter in Mark 5 or the official son later in this chapter in verse 50, you see this living water is what Jesus is talking about. What he's talking about is salvation, the ability to desire to live an obedient life that glorifies God. And so we find this woman, she's in this quest for satisfaction because we will read soon. The whole reason she is there, because she's there in the middle of the day. She's in the middle of the day. Nobody goes to get water in the middle of the day because what she wants to avoid is all the people that won't be there in the middle of the day. Because in their society, in their culture, in their time, you want to get water in the morning or in the evening, not at the hottest part of the day. Nobody goes at noon, and that is when she is there. When the sun's at its highest and at its hottest, that is when she is there at the well. She wants to avoid everything that is happening, and we will soon realize exactly what she wants to avoid. Jesus will talk about the things that she has been trying to find satisfaction in. You see, in our endless quest for satisfaction, Jesus brings complete satisfaction, or Jesus alone satisfies. He tells her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, because you will have to come back tomorrow morning, and the morning after that, and the morning after that, and the morning after that, and for every morning, you will have to come and get water, that this water that you drink from right now is only temporary satisfaction, but I offer water that brings eternal, complete satisfaction The Old Testament uses the metaphor of living water to describe spiritual cleansing and new life. We see it in Jeremiah 2. We see it in Psalm 36, Isaiah 1, Isaiah 12, Isaiah 55, Ezekiel 36. Specifically in the Jeremiah passage, when he talks about it, he says, they are giving up living water, eternal water, the spiritual water, for water within a cracked jar, for a cracked jar of water. And here's what Jeremiah is saying, is that cracked jar is now leaking water, that that cracked jar can only temporarily satisfy it. It can't even completely satisfy you because it'll leak water faster than you can drink it. And so this Cracked jar is what the Israelites were taking in the Old Testament passage, what Jeremiah said. And he's saying, listen, the cracked jar, it can't satisfy your thirst any more than wealth, power, fame, or pleasure can satisfy our soul. The deepest need for the human being is the need to be loved. Our deepest desire is to be loved. And none of these things satisfy the void left by love. Listen, love from each other doesn't even satisfy it completely. Love of a spouse, love of a friend, love of a person in our church or in your family or friend, love of your parents. Nothing can satisfy that that void in your life completely. There's only one love that can. It's the love of Jesus. My wife gave birth this past Tuesday to our fourth child. And uh, thank you. It was hard for me. I appreciate the you guys. But she, um, after after our child was born, And we uh, decided to have just a moment. My wife and I and our daughter just, we prayed. And uh, she didn't have a choice. She's like two days old. Um, But so we prayed. And uh, I just simply said, God, thank you for our daughter, Mercy. Thank you for the gift that she is to our family. Uh, Thank you for uh, us being to get, get to be her parents. And then I prayed. Lord, I pray that she would find complete satisfaction in you because I am a flawed dad. I'm a broken and sinful and flawed person. I pray that she would come to know you from a very early age, and she would know how much she's deeply loved by you, because I will fail her for sure. I hope that she knows that I love her, but that mine is not the one that will completely satisfy the void that's left in her life. That only comes in Jesus. Mother Teresa says this, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is truly the most terrible poverty. Listen, there's only one love that completely satisfies our deep desire and need to be loved, and it's the love of Jesus, the love that we find at the cross. Revelation 21.6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give him from the spring of water of life without Payment, without payment because of the cross, without payment because what Jesus Christ did on the cross, because of his death and resurrection. You see, we find complete satisfaction in Jesus in the love that is displayed at the cross. It's his sacrifice, it's his death, and then his resurrection. Where we can find complete satisfaction in him. And the woman says, fine, I want some of that water. I want that complete satisfaction. I want something that you have to offer. Give that to me. And then Jesus' response He says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Gia said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Okay. She is there at the middle of the day. Everybody else has gone in the morning and come back. She's betting. Nobody's at the well right now. And this is the very reason she doesn't want to go in the morning. This is the very reason she doesn't want to go when everybody else goes, because this is what she wants to avoid. This is her shame. This is her guilt. This is her sin. Could you imagine the shock on her face when Jesus calls it out? Like cartoon version of this story, eyes are bulging out of the head, jaw hits the floor, tongue rolls out. She's in full shock. Cannot believe that he just called out the fact that she's been married and divorced now five times, and now she's with some other dude that they're doing some things, like they're married, but they're not really married, but they're doing that thing. She's got to be in shock. And Jesus calls her out. She calls out the very thing she wanted to hide, the very thing that brings shame. And Jesus says, if you want to drink of the living water, if you want all of me, then we're going to talk about that thing with you. I need all of you. Listen, in our attempts to hide our sin, Jesus confronts, heals, and forgives our sin. He was unveiling what he meant by living water, this living water of spiritual life, this thing that her soul was desperately needing, that her parched soul was in desperate need of. And Jesus says, listen, if you want it, yours. But then we're going to talk about all of you. Listen, five husbands, now with a sixth dude, in a society where women were already second-class citizens, where men didn't talk to women, in a society where if you've been divorced, you're now an outcast, and now she's been divorced five times. Like, you can imagine what the names, like, she's, she, you're blamed after one divorce. By this point, it just becomes who she is. It's her character. It's her identity, Oh, she's the one that can't keep a man. She's the one that keeps getting divorced. It's always her fault. So she's she's the common denominator in all of them. Oh, you can imagine the names that she's been called. And you can imagine if she's on number six, the mental, physical, and emotional abuse, she's probably sustained within those relationships and within those marriages because you just do whatever the man says. And once you're divorced, you're lower than any other woman in the system. So now you really do whatever I say. It's the very thing she wanted to hide, the shame. And Jesus says, I want to get to the heart of the issue. I want to get to your sin. I want to get to your shame. I want to get to your guilt. And he calls her out. And the woman, she is clearly uncomfortable. She's so uncomfortable that she turns the conversation to religion and politics. She simply says, Well, I mean, I think you're a prophet, Jesus, and uh, you guys say to worship over there, the Jews say in Jerusalem, we say on this mountain. What's your answer? Listen. It's a major point of friction. Of, of, of sorry, major point of friction between Jews and Samaritans is where to worship, because for the Jews they took the entire Old Testament as canonical, as truth, as biblical, as God's word. Samaritans took the first five books, the Pentateuch. They took the first five books, and because of that, they had a difference of opinion on which mountain they should worship on, and how to worship, and what it looked like. And they could both point to scripture and make that argument. So she changes it to religion and politics. Our religion and politics say this, what do you say, Jesus? It's this major point of tension. And then Jesus will go into this whole women believe, uh, this this point of, hey, you don't know the the hour is coming. And when it comes, it won't matter where you worship, but it's going to be more of how you worship. That God is looking for people that worship him in spirit and truth. And he will go and talk about this for the next few verses to her. And Jesus' whole point in that is listen, under the new covenant, where you worship, what mountain it's on, is not going to be top priority. It's not even going to be an issue. It's going to be how. You worship. It's going to be the nature of your worship. You see, he's concerned about her heart. The reason he calls her out and brings up what is going on is because he's concerned about her heart in the midst of worshiping God. She will change the conversation to how do I worship? Where should I worship or where should I worship? He will talk about no how you're worshiping. See, because Jesus is very concerned with our heart and our worship. He's very concerned in our heart with the relationship because Jesus is very concerned when we show up to church on Sundays and we will raise our hands and sing songs like the blood applied, but I will walk out those doors like the blood was never applied because I will walk out in guilt and shame and not walk out in freedom. Oh, there's a concern that Jesus has here that I think we miss sometimes in that conversation. He is very concerned with the fact that as believers, we will show up to church and we will sing songs about forgiveness and freedom that we find in the name of Jesus. We will read passages that talk about the gift and freedom and love and grace and mercy and goodness that we find at the cross, but boy, we will walk out as if none of it was ever true. This weight that we will carry, the shame and the guilt. And Jesus is telling her, listen, we're going to talk about your shame, that thing that, that you're scared of people talking about, that thing that you're guilty of. We're going to talk about that sin. And he doesn't do it to condemn her. He doesn't do it to bring more shame or more guilt. Verse 25 The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Listen, this is the dramatic climax of this conversation. This is the high point. This is where Jesus dropped the bomb. This is the very first time Jesus ever claimed to be the Messiah. And notice who he does it to. He doesn't do it to other Jewish men or religious leaders. That would have made sense. He doesn't do it to a man at all. He does it to a woman. On top of that, he does it to a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans, they don't really intermingle. They don't really talk. They don't really hang out. So he does it to a woman, a woman that his people don't usually talk to. And then he does it to the woman that has been married and divorced five times, who is now into a sixth guy. He does it to a woman who is out is an outcast and isolated, who's at the lowest bottom lowest rung on the totem pole when it comes to society. That's who he drops the knowledge to. That's where Jesus goes, "I'm the Messiah," and drops the bomb. And listen, the woman wanted to hide her sin. Jesus Jesus could have dropped that bomb at the very beginning of the conversation. Like, he's Jesus, right? God incarnate, God in flesh. Like, he could have said, "Um, give me a drink of water, I'm the Messiah. And she could have been like, prove it. He would have snapped his fingers and water would have come up out of the well and just dropped into his mouth like a water fountain. (laughs) And he would have looked at her like, I told you, just give me a drink. (laughs) Like, he could have done it any other way. He didn't have to go through this. He did not have to start with breaking social norm and social custom by being a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman and then going to talking about and dealing with her sin and then this religious and political belief system and then dropping it. Like he kind of went through a lot to get there and he doesn't do it to condemn her. He does it to bring light. He does it for this very statement that he is a Messiah. Here's what he's telling her. I know what you've done and I know what you did. I know who you've done it with. I know what you're currently doing with the dude that's not your husband. I know about it all. But I am he, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one that brings forgiveness, healing, mercy, grace, forgiveness. I'm the one that brings freedom. That is who I am. See, he doesn't do it to condemn her. And this woman recognizes her spiritual depravity, desperately thirsty for living water. She finds this forgiveness, healing. And she finds this heart change. In First John 1 John 1.9, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, confessing, confessing our sin is crucial for the Christian. See, general repentance is not just a head change. It's not just a mind change. Jesus could have dropped the thing, I am he, I am the Messiah. At the very beginning, it would have just been a mind change for her. The reason he went through the conversation the way he did was because he was dealing with a heart change, and that's what repentance looks like. It ain't just a mind change, it's a heart change, realizing really how sinful I am, every thought, every action, every emotion, every belief, every way of life, when I want to do it my way, and how I want to do it, when I want to do it, oh, how broken and sinful that is, and because of that, I have this view of God, not a high view of self, but a high view of God, realizing how broken and sinful I am with a high view of God. Now I recognize um, my need for a Savior. And then in repentance, we start to find the faithfulness, the forgiveness of Jesus, how that's actually just true to his character and true to the promises that God the Father made. The woman wants to hide her sin and her shame. Jesus wants to do nothing but heal and forgive it. And listen, To bring light to our sin, to bring light to our shame is not easy. It's not comfortable. It's painful and scary. Because it's painful because now I have to own what I've done. I've got to own my own depravity. I've got to own my own feelings, my thoughts, my emotions. I've got to own my stuff. That just doesn't feel good. It's painful. And it's scary because I'm going to get up on a stage, and I'm going to tell everybody that over a decade ago, before I got into ministry, I used to spend every Sunday morning rolling so many joints and blunts that I would be able to be high 24-7 if I wanted. And now I'm terrified of what you might think about me, what you might say about me. It's being recorded, and it's going to be put online, and if you know anything about the Internet, it ain't going anywhere. It's there. The scariest thing about it all is if Jesus knows the truth about me, how could he ever love me? And yet, that is the beauty of the gospel. Everybody knows John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Everybody knows that one, but 17. 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Listen, God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. If God's heart for you was to condemn you, if God's heart for you was punishment, if God's heart for you was condemnation, then there is no reason for Jesus Because if God's heart for you is condemnation, then there's no point in Jesus being born, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, rising again three days later, defeating sin in the grave. If God's heart for you is condemnation, then there's no point in sending Jesus. He'll just let us all go to hell. He'll just let us die. But because Jesus came in this miraculous birth, lived the perfect life we could not live, died the death that we should have died, then rose again three days later, defeating sin in the grave, ascends into heaven, and now sits at the right-hand throne of the Father. Because of all this, we see the love of God. It's the beauty of the gospel. You see, you can't out the cross. You can't outrun the, the love of Jesus. His heart for you was always, has always been, perfect mercy, grace, forgiveness, love, and freedom we find at the cross. Listen, you can hide your past, and you can live in that shame, and Satan will continue to use that to lie about the truth about you. Satan is the great liar and deceiver, but he doesn't lie about you. He lies about the truth about you. Let me explain. He lies about the truth about me, Remember what you used to do, who you used to do it with, how much you used to smoke and how much you used to drink and all this stuff. You remember all the things you used to be? You remember how you used to talk? You remember how you used to do things? And you're going to get up on a stage and tell people that there's freedom found in Jesus. You remember that? And yet there's Jesus who says, well, here's the truth about you. I know everything you've ever done. I know everything you've ever did. We've talked about some of it. There's still more we have to talk about. I went to the cross for you. Died for you. I love you. The truth about you isn't that you are still that person. The truth about you is you are forgiven, loved, and redeemed. You've been bought back. Walk in freedom from it all. Jesus looked at the woman's life and said, I am He, the one that can do all that for you. See, here's the thing we have a choice walk in shame or walk in freedom. Go down to verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left the water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Then they went, they went out of town and were coming to him. Listen. You've got to notice what happens, okay? This is a very long passage. I know I've just kind of summarized some of the things, but you've got to recognize what just happened. First off, this lady, the very thing that brought shame and guilt, the very thing she wanted to avoid talking, why she's at the water well at the middle of the day, because she doesn't want to talk to anybody about this, she has now ran back into the city and is telling everybody about the very thing she didn't want to talk about. She is in there going, hey, come here, crowd, everybody, everybody in the marketplace, let's go. Come meet the dude that's talked about all of it. And because of where she lived, my bet is the five ex-husbands and the new dude are all in that crowd. <laughs> Awkward. Like, she's in there. He's told me everything. I, oh, yeah, he talked about you and you and you and you, <laughs> and you and what we're doing now, you know, that thing we're doing, but we're not married, that we shouldn't be doing it. Like, they had to be like, oh, dang it. Everybody knows. She's now telling everybody about it. The very thing she wanted to avoid, the shame and the sin in her life that she did not want to talk about, she did not want to address, is now the very thing she is talking to people about. And then going, Come and see the man that brings forgiveness and mercy and grace and healing. Come and see the man that redeems it all. Come see the man that brings freedom from it all. Did you also notice the couple little words? She left the jar. She left the jar, it's the whole reason she's there. She is at the water well to fill up the jar, and now she just forgot it. Now, I don't know the reason it doesn't tell us. Maybe she forgot it because she was just too excited, she had to go tell people. Maybe she forgot it because she still hasn't even filled it up yet because this Jewish dude started talking to her, she never got to do it. Maybe. She filled it up, but Jesus already had asked for a drink, and now she's gotten this like forgiveness and healing and freedom. She's like, oh, he might still be thirsty, and maybe she left it for him. Either way, here's the truth. What used to be the most important thing in her life was no longer top priority. The thing that she was there to do had no longer become the top priority in her life. She had found forgiveness and healing and freedom. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It's the second time that we are told, because of that woman's story, because of her testimony, that now others have come to believe. And notice the difference between her and the disciples. I told you, remember that part where it said that the disciples went into the city to get food? The disciples, the guys that are supposed to be fishers of men, go into the city and come back with only fish. She goes into the city, and she comes back with people. Disciples are like, ooh think we missed it. They go into town, come back with food, do exactly what they were supposed to do. She goes back into town, unveils all her shame and guilt and everything she wanted to avoid, and she comes back with more people because now these people are going, well, you haven't talked to us in a decade, and now you're telling us everything. You're talking about it like it's a good thing. What changed in your life who made that change, that now you are away, okay, talking about it. What kind of freedom comes like that? And so now these people just start walking out. And then these Samaritans who don't ever talk to Jews are now asking the Jewish dude to hang out and stay. Like there's this drastic contrast in what happens in this moment. By, for, by confronting her past, she finds forgiveness, salvation, and freedom. And what used to be that source of shame has now become a powerful tool for the kingdom of God. Oh, well, that's what freedom does. It becomes this tool for the kingdom of God of going, look how bad I used to be, the five ex husbands, the new dude, all the stuff I used to do and who I used to do it with. And now many more have come to believe in him because of the word of her testimony. You see, the woman had been walking in shame for so long. As this moment, she chose to walk in freedom. You have a choice. You can walk in guilt or you can walk in grace. You can walk in shame or you can walk in freedom. You can't do both. Your past, as much as you might think it, disqualifies you for the kingdom of God. For the love of Jesus, your past can be a powerful tool for the kingdom of God. Listen, some of you, you haven't put your faith in Jesus. You're still checking this out. You're still wondering. Maybe you feel the weight of guilt or shame. Maybe you feel like there's no way Jesus can love me because of the things I've done, because of who I used to be, because of who I used to do it with, and all this stuff. Again, that's the beauty of the gospel. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a cross and an empty tomb for you. It's more than just a story. It's what we call Good Friday and Easter Sunday, but that is for you. It ain't just something we celebrate as a church because it's a cool holiday. It is something that we celebrate because it was for all of us together, but also for you individually. You see, we have the empty tomb and a cross for you. It's more than just a story. It's the good news where we find that perfect love, complete satisfaction, perfect forgiveness and grace and mercy and kindness and goodness and freedom. That's we find at the cross. For others, you've put your faith in Jesus, but for some time, for some reason, you're still carrying around shame and guilt, around who you used to be, things you used to do, whether in your past or your present, you're still walking around with that. Listen, there are two truths. The truth about how I see myself, I can choose to walk in that guilt and shame, or the truth about how God sees me. You choose to walk in freedom, forgiveness of sin, free from the guilt and shame, You can walk in one, but not both. The woman at the well, for the first time, chose freedom. She had walked in shame for a long time, guilt for a long time. And for the very first time in her life, she chose freedom. For those of you that don't believe in Jesus, haven't put your faith in him, my response to you is very simple come and see the man. Come and see the man that at 6 a.m. this morning woke me up telling me I needed to change my intro. I had a completely different story I was going to tell you. I was going to paint the whole scene, her walking out the city. and I, was, I, had, a whole, I had a good one. <laughs> I've worked a lot. I practiced that thing, man. Woke up at 6 o'clock this morning going, you're going to get up and talk about freedom? Then get up and do it. I got to a point that I was just done with myself. Don't want to try to do life my way. The emptiness and void of everything I try to find satisfaction in. And now I get the privilege of getting up on a stage, putting it on the internet, and talking about (laughs) my Sunday meal prep. But here's the truth. The freedom that comes in Jesus has nothing to do with me. It's a here's how broken and sinful I am. Here are my struggles. But come see the man that brings forgiveness, healing, redemption, and freedom. Come see that man. For those of you that have put your faith in Jesus, here's my encouragement. At the end of service, there will be people who would love to pray with you. Please don't walk out those doors with guilt and shame. He did not die on the cross, did not take that punishment, the beating, the nails, the death, for you to walk out of here in shame and guilt and carrying it. Oh, we're good at praying for forgiveness. Maybe we need to pray for freedom. He did not walk out. He did not go to that cross for you to walk out carrying it. You he stood here in worship and sang songs about the freedom we find in Jesus and about the blood that's applied to our life. If you have put your faith in Jesus, don't sing a song about, I'm thankful for the blood that is applied, but then walk out of here like it was never applied. Come get prayer. Find freedom in the name of Jesus. I can't, I'm not going to promise it's going to happen in a moment, but I do know He's faithful to forgive, he's just to forgive, and he's faithful to set you free. Choose freedom today, just like the woman. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you've done in my life. Lord, for the forgiveness and the freedom. Lord, just like that woman at the well. May our stories, our history, our past, the things that bring shame and guilt be powerful tools for your kingdom. Not because of anything we've done or how great we are, but may it bring your name, honor, and glory. May it just prove to people the power in both the person, the work, and in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.